Good morning, Calvary Church. It is great to be with you this morning. It's great to be with those of you who are in the sanctuary, and it's great to be with those of you who are at home. Maybe you're in your car. Maybe you're even on your boat this morning. No matter where you are, it's great to be with you. And this morning, we've had the opportunity to worship in song. We've had the opportunity to worship in praising our Lord. And now we're going to have the opportunity to worship together, opening God's Word to hear what He has to say to you this morning and to me as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the sunshine that woke us up this morning. Lord, the fresh, crisp air that we walked out into, Lord, and in that we recognize the beauty of your creation. In a time of uncertainty, in a time of unrest, in a time when we're not so sure what the next day is going to bring, we recognize, Lord, that you are in control. And we recognize, Lord, that not only are you in control, but that you have given us guidance through your word to live our lives for your purposes. So, Lord, we pray as we open up your word this morning that you'd speak to us. Lord, that your spirit would speak. That you'd speak to our hearts and you'd speak to our minds. And that this morning you'd help each one of us grow to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. So that, Lord, we can serve the world around us, drawing people, people closer to him. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. So today, this morning, we are going to continue our study in the book of Titus. And as you know, for the last year or so, we've been doing a study out of the book of Titus, and we've had a number of mini-series within the book of Titus. And we're in this mini-series now that we've entitled A New Life. And we're looking at what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What's the new life that he brings to us when we receive him? And a number of weeks ago, we learned that following Jesus Christ means that we're to be obedient to God. And then Mark opened up the word for us and showed us that we are to be gentle. And last week, we saw that we are to be peaceable people. This morning, we're going to see that we need to be devoted. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be devoted people. So if you would, would you take your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. We have two weeks left in our study of the book of Titus, and then we're going to move on. Now, before we do that, before we jump into this, I do want to say, uh, last week I had some comments about me sitting on a stool. The first comment was from my mom following the service when she immediately called me and said, hey, Tommy, is there something wrong with your back? <laughs> yes, she does call me Tommy. No, there's nothing wrong with my back. I just felt that it would be a way for me to connect better with, with you behind the camera. It kind of keeps us in a conversation of sorts as we kind of look at what God has to say from his word. It also keeps me from pacing back and forth on the platform, which hopefully, hopefully helps us stay engaged together. So we have Titus chapter 3, and here in Titus chapter 3, we're going to do what we've done kind of in the past. We're going to start with some verses here in Titus chapter 3, and we're going to use them as a starting point. We're going to jump from these verses to some other verses that are going to help us better understand what it means to be devoted. First, though, Titus 3. In Titus chapter 3, Paul speaks specifically about being devoted two times. Beginning 
in Titus 3, verse 4, Paul explains the gospel. He explains this good news of Jesus, this good news that is of salvation in Jesus, where Jesus forgives us from our sins and then gives us new life in Him. Look what Paul writes beginning in verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewed by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. Now, that's the gospel. Now, following is our response to the gospel, the new life and what that means. He continues, And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. You see, once we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are to devote ourselves to doing what is good. Paul reiterates this command just a few verses later in verse 14, where he writes, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. So the instruction here to us as followers of Jesus is clear. We're to devote ourselves to doing good. We're to be devoted people doing what is good. But more broadly, we're to be devoted to God and His purposes. We're to be people devoted to God and the good things of His kingdom. Now, to be clear, being devoted means to be committed, loyal, dedicated, and diligent. It has an element of having to do with the focus of one's heart. There's a strong emotional connection to the idea of devotion and how it impacts the way we live as followers of Jesus. Jesus himself looked for a dedicated or a devoted, a committed heart. In his Sermon on the Mount, he, wrote, he said something about what it meant to be pure in heart when he wrote, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The Greek word for pure here describes a heart that is pure in motive, that has singleness of mind, that is committed, devoted, has spiritual integrity. The pure in heart are those who have given their whole undivided hearts to God. All of their affection and all of their attention goes to God. They're singularly devoted to Him. So now that we have a better understanding, kind of from a definition perspective, what it looks like to be devoted, I think it's more helpful to get a picture of what it means to be devoted. So we're going to jump to a story in the Bible that for many of you is familiar. And we're going to take a look at a character within the story that will help us understand what it means to be devoted and will encourage us, will hopefully encourage us to be more devoted followers of Jesus. It's one of the most famous or maybe infamous stories in all of the Bible. 
And we're going to look at a character in that story that's often overlooked. We're introduced to the character in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So if you please take your Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11 recounts the story of David and Bathsheba. And at this point in the story, David is the king of Israel. He's the most powerful and most important person in all of Israel. He's a king that God is pleased with and has blessed. And we're told that God has been pleased with David and has blessed David because we're told that David is a man after God's own heart. And Bathsheba, she's another man's wife. Now, maybe you don't know the story, but even if you don't know the story, I bet you can start to piece together where it's headed. But you see, today our focus is not going to be on David, and it's not going to be on Bathsheba. It's going to be on Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, because Uriah is a person who truly demonstrates what it means to be devoted to God. Let's begin in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 6. So David sent this word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. Now the first five verses of chapter 11 tell the story of David's apathy, self-indulgence, and arrogance, which led him to commit adultery with Bathsheba. David took Bathsheba, that's Uriah's husband, excuse me, Uriah's wife. David took her and had sex with her. He then sent her back home and assumed that everything was good. But we're told in verse 5 that Bathsheba became pregnant. And it becomes clear that everything's not so good. So David instructed Joab, the general of his army, to send Uriah the Hittite, remember Bathsheba's husband, back from war. David's strategy here is pretty obvious. He thought that by bringing Uriah home for a night or two to spend with his wife, it would provide Uriah with the opportunity to be physically intimate with his wife so that everyone would think that Bathsheba was pregnant with Uriah's child. Pretty clever, right? You see, David assumed that he could contain and manage the problem, and nobody would ever know the truth. But then the unexpected happens, and the story begins to take a life of its own. Verses 7 and 8, when Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. See, David tells Uriah, go home, kick back, relax. You've been through a lot. Now here it's important for us to know a little bit more about Uriah. Uriah was one of the gibberim. He was one of David's mighty men. David had 30 mighty men. These were the men who served with David most closely. They were David's special force, if you had 
if you will, and they had been with David through thick and thin. They had been with David when he was running from Saul. They had been with David in the wilderness. They fought alongside David in battle after battle. These men were David's closest confidants. They were his closest supporters. These men were close to David. And Uriah was one of these men, and he had a very close relationship with David. More than just king and citizen, and even more than commander and soldier. You see, David and Uriah were tight. Uriah was loyal to David. Verses 9 and 10. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So David asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Now listen closely to Uriah's response. This had to be incredibly painful for David to hear. Verse 11, Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing! Exclamation point. Everything that David had chosen to do, Uriah, staring him right in the eye, said that he would not do. But David still would not give up and do the right thing. Verses 12 and 13. Then David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. No matter how hard David tried, Uriah would not go home. As I studied this past week, I couldn't help but wonder what Uriah might have been thinking. There's no indication in the story that Uriah was aware of the adultery. I think that it's possible. I actually think that it's likely that Uriah thought that David's conscience was bothering him, not because of the adultery, but because David wasn't at war in the place where kings were supposed to go. And we get a little hint of this back in verse 1 of chapter 11. Look at what verse 1 says. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab. Perhaps Uriah thought that David had brought him home to make himself feel better. But whatever the reason was, it didn't matter to Uriah. Uriah, his heart was fixed on something else. Look again at the first statement that Uriah makes after David's invitation. Verse 11, Uriah says, The ark 
and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. The ark is the ark of the covenant. And that's the place where God resided. And the ark was at the battlefield. And Uriah wanted to be with God and with all of the other men from Israel and from Judah who were living in deprived, sacrificial situation. They were living their lives for God. And in Uriah's response, whether knowingly or unknowingly, he exposes that David is no longer who he once was. He's no longer a man who lives a life of sacrifice for God. He's apathetic and indulgent. And whether he meant to or not, Uriah challenges David's devotion. And if you look closely, you can almost feel the tension. You can almost see David's fists clenching. You can almost see his jaw tightening. Uriah's words sealed his death warrant. David had to hate everything that Uriah said to him. This was a man who was close to him, who was standing before him and almost a mirror into who David used to be. Uriah is expressing his devotion to God and his devotion to his fellow soldiers. He's standing in front of David just like a mirror and he ends up exposing David for who he really was, making him see how far he had fallen. And David's anger takes over and he sees red. David was the king, and no one could talk to him this way. No one could say to him what Uriah said to him and get away with it, and especially not Uriah the Hittite. He's not even a member of one of the tribes of Israel. Do you see here? Do you see here the incredible comparison that God is painting for us in this story? Think about this. Uriah was the reflection of who David once was and is no longer. Uriah is demonstrating the devotion that David once demonstrated earlier in his story. Remember when David was younger? Remember when God picked him as king? God explains his choice he explains why he picked David as king when he writes in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Look what God says. God says, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. What is it that God is looking for in the heart? He's looking for devotion. And that's why David was chosen as king. But it's no longer David demonstrating devotion to God. Now Uriah is demonstrating that devotion. And think about this. Uriah was a Hittite who began his life as an enemy of Israel. He's an outsider. He's a nobody. He has no reason to be in the army of Israel he has no standing to be one of David's mighty men. 
He shouldn't be allowed to fight on behalf of the ark of God. But God looks on the heart and God sees Uriah's devotion. And I think that when David looked at Uriah, he saw what he once was. He saw the devotion that he once exhibited. And he hated Uriah for it. Verses 14 through 17. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. This is certainly not a typical Hollywood ending to the story. The hero does not ride off into the sunset. But there are a number of insights and warnings that we should take away from Uriah's life and from this story to help us be more devoted followers of Jesus. I have four observations this morning. First observation is our devotion is demonstrated by what we do. You see, everyone is devoted to something. Are you devoted to building your brand? Are you devoted to cooking? Or are you devoted to baking like Shelly was in the video? Are you devoted to fishing? Are you devoted to your golf league? Are you devoted, fully devoted to raising your family? Are you committed? Are you devoted to helping your friends? You see, none of these things are bad in and of themselves, but the lesson from this story is that primarily, first and foremost, we are to be devoted to God. We are to be devoted to God in His purposes. And then out of that devotion to God, we are led to do good things. In verse 11, Uriah's speech to David makes his order of priority clear. Look again at verse 11. He says, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. You see, his order of priority is clear. The ark, which was representative of God, he lists that first, so God was first, then other people. Uriah was devoted to God and his fellow soldiers. And not only does he speak of his devotions, he demonstrates his devotion by going back and sleeping under a door, by not going and sleeping with his wife. You see, Uriah clearly demonstrates where his devotion lies. Uriah lives out Paul's instruction in Romans chapter 
12, verse 11. Look what it says in Romans 12, verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Paul's instruction here, never be lacking in zeal, keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This is a great definition for what it means to be devoted. It's as if Paul is looking back on Uriah's life and is speaking of Uriah when he writes this. Never be lacking in zeal literally is translated, in zeal do not be lazy. In our zeal do not be lazy. Fervently seek after the Lord in spiritual things, serving the Lord. This is an instruction to you and to me to be devoted. As I said, those things that I mentioned earlier aren't necessarily bad things to be devoted to. But I'd like you to think, I'd like you to think to yourself, how much time do you actually spend on meaningless activities? Now, to be fair, there are times for rest, there are times for relaxation, there are times to have fun, but how much time do you spend on meaningless activities? Now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but I would like us to self-analyze what we are spending our time on. So how much time do you spend playing golf? How much time do you spend fishing? How much time do you spend online? How much time do you spend building your brand? How much time do you spend on these things compared to the time that you spend with God? How much time do you spend on these things compared to the time that you spend serving God? You see, our devotion is demonstrated by what we do. If as you're thinking, you think, boy, I do spend a lot of time playing golf. I do spend a lot of time online with Instagram or Snapchat. And I don't really spend all that much time with God or serving God. The call here is to be devoted to God in zeal, fervently pursuing spiritual matters, serving the Lord. So what are the things that you are to do? Now, you could add potentially another Bible study to the list, but I don't think that is what God is talking about here. I think he is talking about the things we do in service to the kingdom. So how much time do you spend serving the Lord? How do you proclaim the gospel? How is it that you're pursuing justice on the behalf of those who are weak, who are disenfranchised, the prisoner, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner? How much time are you serving the Lord doing these things? Because our devotion is demonstrated by what we do. Serve the Lord in zeal. Second, 
So first, our devotion is demonstrated by the things we do. Second is don't let fear get in the way of your devotion. Don't let fear get in the way of your devotion. Now, I don't know whether Uriah was afraid or not when he spoke to King David. But I do have to think that the more and more the conversation continued, the more fear had to enter Uriah's heart. You have to remember, David was the king of Israel, and Uriah is just one of his soldiers. Yes, he's a mighty man, but he's really just a soldier. And David is instructing him to go home and to spend time at home, and Uriah chooses to sleep under the door. So I had to think that Uriah's fear had to be growing as he began to understand what was happening. I'm not sure, but what I am sure of is I am sure that if he had any fear, it didn't keep him from being devoted to God. You see, each one of us, we're prone to fear. I'm prone to fear, and you're prone to fear. So over and over again in the Word of God, God instructs us, God tells us, in fact, God commands us not to be afraid. He says, do not be afraid, do not be full of fear. Why? Because he knows that we're prone to fear and he knows that he does not want us to be afraid so that we can do acts of service on his behalf. So what is it that you're afraid of? What is it that causes you to be afraid that keeps you from being fully devoted to the Lord? Maybe, maybe you're afraid of making a friend or a family member upset. Maybe you're afraid of a financial setback. Maybe you're afraid for your health. Maybe you're afraid for someone else's health. Maybe you're afraid because you think things are not going to be like they used to and, and you like the way they used to be. Maybe it's that you're afraid of change. All of these are fears that we often have. I may not have listed yours, but you know. You know the thing that you're afraid of. And God says, do not fear. Do not be afraid. But why does he tell us that we're not to be afraid, that we're not to be full of fear? He tells us because he says he is with us, that he will never leave us or forsake us. So you need to know that God is with you. You do not need to be afraid. Don't let your fear keep you from being fully devoted to God. So what does this mean? It means that you may need to get out there and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just with deeds, but with words. And you may need to do it at work. You may need to do it at school, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you going to be afraid or are you going to be fearful or are you going to step up and proclaim the gospel? Whatever that thing that you're afraid of, whatever that thing that causes you great fear, 
Don't let it stand in the way of being fully devoted to God. God is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Encourage you to be fully devoted to God and don't let your fear get in the way. Third, devotion to God may be costly, but lack of devotion to God is costlier. Devotion to God may be costly, but lack of devotion is costlier. You see, Uriah died. Uriah died. And it's an example to us that God does not always rescue the righteous. He does not always rescue the devoted from the hands of the wicked. You see, we often think that deliverance is the rule rather than the exception. Uriah's story tells us that the devoted one does not always win in the immediate. The devoted one often pays a price, often pays a cost for being devoted to God. Uriah did. Uriah died. There was a cost to being devoted to God. And for you and for me as followers of Jesus, we need to recognize that there is a cost to being devoted to God. I don't know in each and every situation what that cost may be. I don't know what that cost will be, but the story indicates to us that there is likely a cost to following Jesus. Uriah paid a price. You and I, we may need to pay a price as well. You see, we're living in a nation where it is becoming more and more difficult to be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. There is more and more antagonism. There is more and more antipathy. There is more and more disagreement towards those of us who want to follow Jesus with our whole hearts. And the question becomes, are you willing to stand for the truth? Are you willing to stand for the truth of God no matter the cost? I mentioned it earlier, but does, that means are you willing to go into your place of employment and share the gospel with words? Are you willing to go into your school and share the gospel with words? Are you willing to speak out against abortion? Are you willing to pursue justice for those of a different race or color? Are you willing to speak out against riots and looting? The question becomes, are you willing to take a stand for the truth of God no matter what the cost? Because our story tells us that there is likely a cost to following Jesus. But as you're evaluating the cost to follow Jesus, I'd like you to consider the cost of lack of devotion. You see, in the story, we see, we read that Uriah dies. But the next chapter shows us that the roof falls in on David, so to speak. David's life, he experiences some drastic change, but not only change, he experiences some drastic discipline and judgment because the prophet Nathan comes to David and he says to David, 
Why have you despised the word of the Lord and done this evil thing? Why have you drawn the sword against Uriah? Why have you taken his wife? You see, the lack of devotion is costlier. Because David, he did not avoid, he did not avoid God's discipline and God's judgment. David's lack of devotion cost him his son. What I would argue is a much higher price to pay than the price that Uriah paid. Now David repented and he was restored, but not before painful discipline. Uriah, Uriah did not receive his reward in this life, but he will receive his reward in the kingdom of God. And you, if you recognize that there is a cost to being fully devoted to Jesus and you jump in for God's truth, I don't know what the outcome will be in this life, but I do know that God has promised you reward in his kingdom, and that you will experience that reward for all of eternity. Devotion to God may be costly, but the lack of devotion is costlier. And then finally, number four, devotion means doing the right thing. I know about this time you may be thinking, you know what, it might be a lot easier to just hang out online and bake cookies. And you're kind of evaluating why. Ultimately, why should I be devoted to Jesus? And the ultimate answer is because it's the right thing. It's the right thing to do. My brothers both had a basketball coach that had a saying that he repeated over and over and over again to his players. Always do the right thing just because it's the right thing. Did you hear me? Always do the right thing just because it's the right thing. Why should I be devoted to Jesus? Because it's the right thing. Jesus is God. And it is the right thing for us to be devoted to him. Jesus is the creator of this world and he is your creator as well. Why should we be devoted to him? Because it's the right thing. Jesus sustains this world and he sustains your life in it. Without him, everything would fall apart. Why should we be devoted to him? Because it's the right thing. Jesus loves you so much that he died on a cross so that your sins may be forgiven and you may experience new life in him. Why should we be devoted to Jesus? Because it's the right thing. 
all of us are devoted to something. My prayer for you this morning, my prayer for me, is that we would choose to be devoted to Jesus, fully devoted to Him, no matter the cost, no matter the fears we may face, it's the right thing to do. I know these are difficult times. I know these are times when we're wondering what's coming next. They're not only difficult, they're trying, they're interesting. But what I do know in all of this is that God is in control. No matter what is happening all around us, God is in control. And as for me and my house, we're going to choose to be devoted to Him. Because I want to be devoted to the one who is in control, who has promised never to leave me or forsake me. And my encouragement to you this morning is for you to be devoted to the one who is in control who will never leave you or forsake you. Let's not leave or forsake him. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, Seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.